Hello and welcome to the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. My name is Adam Duritz. I'm here with my friend... And compatriot. <laughs> Long, dramatic pause there. James Campion. The one and only, the one and only. This is episode number... Five zero. Fifty episodes. We did it. I have to say, I, I, while I'm impressed we've gotten to episode 50, what I'm, I think, most impressed about is that we managed to do 46 episodes in the calendar year 2018, our first year of starting it, and we didn't start... The first week, right? Like no, it's when, like the third week of January. So we've already – there's only 52 weeks in a year. You take two or three weeks out and we – there's only 50 weeks available to us because we our first one isn't for the third week of January. Right. And we get 46 out of 50, which is pretty fucking good. I, 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 well, I'm, I don't want to down, you know, downplay the, the importance of the fact that we have reached episode 50 right now because I do think that's completely fucking cool. But I do think it's really wild that we managed to do 46 in 50 weeks – in 2018 too that's some we i mean in their first year i thought we'd have more holes than that more screw-ups especially considering that i was gone on tour for so long yeah we worked really hard and i apologize i guess we miscounted but we worked really hard to double and triple up to be prepared for that and i think we were for the most part i think we missed two weeks we miscounted that's all we did we miscounted and we missed those two weeks and we missed a couple later on but for the most part we managed to get them every week all year which i'm very proud of us for that i'm most proud of that and i'm most proud of the diversity of the musical genres and the musical periods that we've covered on this podcast enthusiastically. I don't think there's any, and it's one of the things I I really enjoyed about meeting you and talking to you on the phone when we first did interviews is the wide swath of music that you love and that I love and that are not apologetic about it. All styles from pop to kitschy 70s stuff to, to really, you know, deep in the woods 60s stuff to psychedelia to, to punk to funk to soul, we've covered almost. I, I can't think of anything except for maybe a few country. I mean, we've even had a few country songs on this. We haven't really missed any genre in our first year, in our first fifty. I, that's what I'm most proud of. Is that it's not just a rock and roll podcast. It's not a rock and roll c- counting crows centric or friends of ours because you, you have tons of friends in the music business. I've met a lot of people over the years, and we have celebrated those friends. But it's the vastness of music that we've covered on this podcast that I'm most proud of. We've convincingly faked enthusiasm for so many different kinds of music at this point. Um, and uh, <laughs> That is totally <laughs> untrue. Uh, no, no, just kidding. No, it is amazing. Cause, and, I, and most of this stuff, I would say probably 60 to 70% of this stuff, certainly more than half, you're bringing to the table that I'm learning for the first time. There are some cases where you've played stuff that I thought I knew that I was like, oh, that's right. And I think that it has been a, a, a diverse group of artists and music, and I can see the worth and the beauty in all of it, really. That's the nice thing about music. If there's one thing I would like people to get out of this podcast, it's that I, I, oh, I hear so many people saying things like, music used to be this, music used to be good, I, I don't like it this way, I, I like this kind of music, but that, not that kind of music. And music's always great. there's always so much great music and nowadays there's more than ever it might be harder to find and it might not be as obvious but there's so much music out there and all you have to do is you know it might not get fed to you on the radio but find a podcast you like this one or another one you know and uh preferably this one uh and just listen there's so much out there use pandora because they'll and and uh let them suggest things to you because i love that um it's great that we have Spotify to play whatever we want nowadays, but don't 
let it just be that because when you get everything you want, you, you have no way of knowing about anything new you might want because you haven't heard it yet. And you need people to surprise you with things, whether it's this podcast or just Pandora or, you know, a playlist on Spotify, anything to get yourself surprised. Music should be a surprise sometimes. There's so much out there that's great. And, uh, you know, there's also probably a million people like us doing things like this. And, you know, if this one doesn't turn out to be your your bag of corn, then uh, some other one will be. Right, that's the other thing too, and I and I want to thank all the people who listen, especially our diehard fans who, who tweet about it and they they send notes to Instagram that says, "Oh, I learned this, I love this." They're out there sharing. There's one group that posts all the songs on Spotify that've been played on this. This is what we wanted. To, this is what I think Adam's original direction for this. I didn't see what he wanted to do with this. Um, maybe taking our conversations together when we talk about the book, we talk about his life and his art. And Counting Crows, certainly. But then we'd veer off and talk about, like last week, we talked a lot about sports or pop culture or films um, and and different kinds of music. And I think the, the fact that we have a great, diverse audience, also an, an audience that is learning and sharing this music and get, giving us feedback and being like, oh, my God, I have not heard the Lemonheads in forever. I'm back in mm-hmm. high school again. Or like, I can't believe I've never heard, you know, fill in the blank. We've played a ton of them. And, and, and also, I, I, the thing about this podcast for me, and the last thing I'll say about 2018 is that in the past, the Aquarian, you know, I work with the Aquarian Weekly, and I do probably have four or five features, a couple of cover stories a year. But mostly they're for friends of mine or bands I really, really love or things I really think I'm trying to bang the drum for. But it's not a constant few. Like, I'm not out there seeing new bands. They have other writers for that. But for the first time, I actually pitched to the Aquarian. I can give them a top 10 records of 2018 because we've listened to so much stuff. I did have a top 10. Whether yeah. it be Wild Pink or Stephen Kellogg or Sean Barna or or Eric Hutchinson or all the stuff we played on this podcast, I had twenty eighteen records that what are so many the Gang of Youths, fantastic band that I just love now that we that you introduced me to. So yeah, again, it's the fans, it's, it's you bringing to the table, it's us being able to discuss it. So uh, congrats on fifty, my friend. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and I hope we have fifty more in us. And the this year, this year, <laughs> and, and by the way, I haven't even mentioned the festival. The festival that used to be the Outlaw Roadshow and then took a year off and then Adam met with the people from the festival and said, let's get it going. And they all chose the name of this podcast, which is the name of a Counting Crows record that celebrated cover music. I mean, it's all sort of symbiotic and it's great. And that was a great and we're going to have a great one in April. I can't wait for April. So me too. I am so excited about April. Um, So in the spirit of all that. Yes. (laughs) Let's talk about someone who's not playing the, the, the Underwater Sunshine Fest. No. Well, although one of the people who might play Underwater Sunshine Fest did open for this guy last year because he's still touring. And, uh, and I, I spoke to her this morning, and she's trying to work it out. Okay, um, good. All right, we'll see. I, she's got a lot of stuff going on right now. So, but she's uh, a dear friend, and she's trying to work it out. But she opened for this guy last year, and uh, we'll see. But uh, I put this idea to uh, to you today because... This is a guy who I think, in his time, at one point, was one of the most important musicians around, uh, making the best records. At a time when a bunch of people were making great records, he had an output that was up there with anybody in two different bands at the same time. We're talking about Rod Stewart. And I think in a lot of ways, Rod Stewart, who did, in the early 70s and the mid-70s, some of the best music 
anyone was doing at the time in both his solo albums and in the faces. Uh, and then when he became super huge with like in the late seventies, he was interested in keeping with the current times musically and, you know, playing disco even with, do you think I'm sexy in doing that and following the trends after that? I think, well, for me, it lost some of the originality that, that really was his hallmark early on. Cause he did some stuff that was so original and so groundbreaking with the way he mixed acoustic and electric music and really, a big influence on the kind of stuff a lot of people would do later on. I'm not sure anyone has played acoustic music with the fury that he did in his bands at that moment right then. Not so much the faces, which was more electric, but uh, on the Rod Stewart, we'll, we'll get to that stuff as well and talk about it. But I, I feel I, like because people soured on him later as he became massive, people don't think of him and his 70s output in the same way they think of Led Zeppelin or they think of the Stones. Or a lot of or other even Elton people. John, who also got short shrifted, I think. Right, because I mean, I've often said that the please finish. What no, you're go saying, ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that uh, you know Elton's output from 1969, the first Elton album, well, Empty Sky, first Elton album, 1970, Elton John, and then two albums a year from 1970 to 1975 is as good an output as any rock and roll or pop artist has ever done, including the Beatles and the Stones. Uh, both Elton and Rod uh, Stewart were connected in many, many ways. Uh, both huge soccer fans. I think they actually even owned, co-owned a soccer team together. Or Elton t- definitely owned one. Uh, I think that it- Rod nearly played for one. He was on the junior squad for yeah, he was uh, an one of the player. A football players. Professional. He was very, very good. Yes. Um, and the thing about Rod Stewart that people forget, and I'm glad Adam mentioned this. Rod Stewart was a huge star in the – I mean a huge star in the 70s, a massive, big lightning rod for a lot of stuff, uh, no pun intended. And the strange thing about Rod Stewart is that unlike David Bowie, another contemporary of his that gets lauded, and rightfully so, for an incredible output from like the late 60s to the early 70s, those guys, Bowie, Rod Stewart, and, and Elton John, massive stars. But – Elton gets a lot of credit for big, big, huge hits, even though Rod Stewart did have them, but, I mean, crazy big. And, of course, David Bowie for being groundbreaking uh, many ways. But Rod Stewart kind of gets lost in that group, and he shouldn't be. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we're going to dedicate at least one podcast to Rod's work as a solo artist. And as, as Adam mentioned to me before we went on to do this, I didn't kind of realize. I've always kind of thought Rod was in, he, he was in a, a group. He was in the Jeff Beck group. Jeff, Jeff Beck being one of the great guitar players from the period, he needed a singer. He got Rod, uh, Rod Stewart's amazing gravelly voice, his bluesy affects, wonderful stage presence. He was a great front man for Jeff Beck, but he was kind of lost in that milieu. But then he gets the Faces, his own band, which, which was an offshoot of the old Small Faces band that was he wasn't in. That band— Let's go back a little bit, though. Cause I, but yeah, because I did not realize until you told me this that Rod Stewart had already staked out a claim in the late 60s as an, a solo artist, which I had, I, well, I had forgotten about. sort of. Right? I mean, Rod Stewart plays with Long John Baldry in the— uh, uh, That Elton John was in that band, too, yeah. He was a piano player for that band. Maybe Mickey Waller's in that band too. Mickey Waller later plays the drums on a lot of the early uh, Rod, Rod Stewart, Stewart records, stuff, sure. solo stuff. Um, and he leaves that and ends up in this band called Steam Packet. Well, that's the band that definitely has uh, Long John Baldry's in Steam Packet. It's like an R and B like review. Rod Stewart, Brian Auger, Mickey Waller. Uh, they're kind of like a I can to- I can Tina soul review according to 
Wikipedia in any case. Right, right. An English version of that. Baldry was a bluesy, and again, Elton John was the piano player for that band. It was a very bluesy sort of, uh, sort of, uh, uh, who's the guy who had the the blues band? John Mayall? John Mayall. Thank you. And they were, and you know, uh, Rod Stewart plays harmonica in that band and uh, and sings. Uh, But then he gets asked to join uh, Jeff Beck group. Jeff Beck leaves uh, the Yardbirds, right? The Yardbirds. Well, I guess he's actually briefly in this band called Shotgun Express hmm. uh, with two guys who had uh, just left John Mayall, I guess, uh, Mick Fleetwood and Peter Green. <laughs> he's briefly in this band called uh, <laughs> Shotgun right. Express. But then... The originators of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Then Jeff... They leave to form Fleetwood Mac. Right. He goes with uh, Jeff Beck. Uh, and Ron Wood also is joins that band. Ron Wood is the bass player for Jeff Beck Group. That is correct, and he's on Beckola. That's him playing bass on, on Beckola, and yeah. he and, and that's where Rod and 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 uh, Ron uh, Ron Wood, of course, went on to play with the Stones later. Formed sort of a Mick and Keith kind of thing that would end up being the real foundation of his early solo work and the Faces. Yeah, but in a lot of ways, also that Jeff Beck group, as as uh, you know, I've read in different places, pointed out that like really strong singer, heavy heavy guitar. It's the foundation for what becomes a lot of heavy metal music too. That's right. After that, but I mean, they make the album Truth, and then they make Beckola, and then uh, Ron Wood decides to leave. Jeff Beck's going to go do a thing with Carmine a piece. Carmine a piece. That was pronounced. I always yeah. can never know if it's Apache or a piece. Yeah. And uh, the Tim Bogert. Uh, right. And uh, Carmine from Vanilla Fudge. Right. Uh, and exactly and right. Uh, he wants Rod Stewart to go, you know, be the singer for that little super group. But Rod Stewart decides to leave, and Ron Wood had 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 just left and talked Rod into coming with him. They joined uh, the Small Faces, right. a very happening mod band in London. that had a lot of hits. I, yeah. I had a, there was a box that my good friend Ken Starr, who uh, biographer of Kiss, and that's how I met him. had had just written the liner notes and sent them to me a couple of years ago. There's a box set of the Small Faces. Uh, oh, singles. It's amazing. They had many, many, so hits. many great albums like Ogden's Knuck on Flake. Yes, uh, and but their lead singer and lead guitar player Steve Marriott leaves the band. Right, and uh, enjoy Genesis and and so that he's replaced because Ron Wood stops playing bass and becomes the guitar player right. for the Small Faces, mm-hmm. and Rod Stewart becomes a singer. And they want it to be a whole new band because everyone in the Small Faces was really short, <laughs> and. And they are not. That's right, yeah. They're yeah. not. Yeah. So they want to change the name to a whole new name for the band. But the record company, because the Small Faces have been a hit, doesn't want to do that. They don't want to lose the thing, and they finally compromise, and they just call the band The Faces. Right. This is Ron Wood on guitar, Rod Stewart vocal, Ian McCloggan on keys, right. Ronnie Lane uh, on uh, bass. Uh, and uh, Kenny Jones, later of The Who. That's right, Kenny Jones on, on drums. On drums. I, I did want to mention, and I, I, I erroneously said Steve Marriott went on to, uh, was one of the original members of Genesis. He was not. He's one of the original members of Humble Pie, which I had forgotten. My bad. Go ahead. All right. Um, and they decided to call their band The Faces. Right. This is all late 68, 69, maybe 69. Right. And uh, so they formed this band. But before they release a record, Rod Stewart, Releases a record of his own, um, which is was originally called an, "An Old Raincoat Won't Ever Let You Down," uh, but very rare record. If you could find that record, right? Because in good shape, you're 
You you may have that record. It's just not called that anymore. No, no, no. Because the record company decided... That was the release in the UK. The record company decided that there was too uh, British a turn of phrase. And it wouldn't work in America. And so they just called it the Rod Stewart album. And let me just say this. That Rod Stewart album, after he became famous... In the early 70s, after Maggie May, and he became really big. That album had many permutations. It's like the first Bowie album that's not the first Bowie album, the one prior to Space Oddity we've talked about here. It's like I've seen that thing with 60 different covers called 60 different. It was almost like nobody had the publishing rights for it. It's a very rare record. It's not even on Spotify. It's weird because, I mean, I, I think of it as it's, it's got it some before. huge hits on it, which is why it's surprising to me, at least one huge hit on it. But. A lot. It, it's not. He makes these albums, and from that point on, he goes back and forth for years, making Rod Stewart albums and making Faces albums in the same years. Same year. That's in, right. In, in 1971, there are three records. I think in February of 71, the Faces released their second album, Long Player. In May or June of that year, uh, Rod Rod releases uh, Every Picture Tells a Story, oh, his that, third that solo yeah. album. Okay, right. And in November of that year, the the Faces released their third album, or their <laughs> I, I, I can't. I'm, I'm not gonna get this straight. Their third album, a not as good as a wink to a blind horse. Right. And by the way, I mean, so they're like three in one year with a lot of the same musicians. All of these records have Ron Wood and Rod Stewart. Ron Wood is often playing. Bass and guitar, and, but on mandolin or or well, he doesn't. I'm not sure the mandolin's him on some of it because occasionally other faces are on the records, like Ronnie Lane occasionally plays bass, right? Kenny Jones occasionally plays drums, McCloggan plays some keyboards here and there. Occasionally, it's, all, right? it's different guys. A lot of the drums on the Rod Stewart records are actually Mickey Waller, who's fantastic, right? You um, mentioned him before, and uh, the basses often well, often just Ron Wood, but all, uh, the keyboards sometimes they're Ian McCloggan, sometimes they're Pete Sears. On one song, which we'll play you on this record, they're Mike Dabo, who was the uh, lead singer for Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Right. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, Martin Quittendom is his sort of like uh, partner in crime arrangements at times. Plays a lot of acoustic guitar on all these records. Uh, and he begins to build a real kind of a theory of music he plays acoustic music like it's electric music. They'll play whole songs that are largely acoustic guitars, but they'll beat the shit out of them. Right. They'll tear them up. Um, they're just as rock as the Faces stuff. It's just that instead of playing electric, it's acoustic. Or Ron Wood's playing both, and I'm slide over the acoustic guitar. But he has this way of playing acoustic folk instruments, piano, bass, acoustic guitar, while still having these sloppy, crashing drums. Right. And uh, a whole, you know, slow songs that are beautifully arranged and tender, but also up-tempo rock numbers, but they're played on a lot of acoustic instruments. And he's he begins to sort of develop this style... You won't even notice that they're acoustic songs. The fact that Every Picture Tells a Story is largely acoustic... And that Maggie May is almost entirely acoustic mm-hmm. because they're such famous rock songs and they're played with such fury that they seem as heavy as the stuff the faces are doing electrically on their records. And it's really interesting. It also, for me, one of the things that he really does in these records is he shows you, aside from becoming a great songwriter himself, 
he is the great interpreter of other people's songs. Whether it's Elton John on uh, Dylan on a few albums, Elton John. Uh, well, we said the Robert Johnson the Stone song. I think their version, the Faces version of um, uh, we just talked about Love in Vain, is every bit as good, if not better, than the ver- version the Stones made famous on Get Your Yaya's Out. Or uh, it's all over now. That wonderful version he Bobby does. Wo- that. Is that Bobby Womack? Yeah, it's a Bobby yeah. Womack song. Or the other one. Didn't he do um, Let Me Tell You About a Place? Oh, that yeah, Sam later on. Cook song. Sam Cooke was his biggest influence as a singer. Yeah. He would always say that, like, for him, it was all about Sam Cooke in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but I want to start off with the first song on his first album is a Stone song. And a very famous Stone song. But. Yes. Uh, he makes it entirely his own. Is this Street Fighting Man? Yeah. Okay, so I'm so glad you – two things I want to mention really quick. Street Fighting Man was the first song, I believe, from the rock and roll era that was done exactly what Adam's just saying about what Rod Stewart did. If you listen to Street Fighting Man by the Stones, there's no electric guitar until the end. The rest of that thing is all overloaded acoustic guitars – and that song is a rock and roll anthem. I mean, there's no two ways about it. One of the great rock and roll ha- anthems, and the Stones have been playing it for decades with full blasting electric guitars, but not on the original. So I'm so glad you're picking this tune. And the second thing, before we leave the whole Faces, Rod Stewart, Faces, Rod Stewart, Faces, Rod Stewart, that went on from 1970 through 1976, really. They were not only recording these things, but they were constantly touring. There are famous stories with the faces on the road drinking and you oh, know, yeah. women and bosses. They were the original crazy, out-of-control, wrecking hotel rooms. You know, just – I mean they were – these guys were working and playing hard for like two, three, four years nonstop. Not, but they weren't – it wasn't nonstop because – Rod Stewart is also doing tours. That's what I'm trying to say. It's nonstop. It's amazing. It's Woody and Rod who are there the whole day because the bands are different sometimes. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's why I meant Rod. Rod Stewart. Even though the the sort of I want to show you because great interpretation of other people's songs involves making them your own, and sometimes it's acoustic guitars on this version too. But he's turned the groove inside out. It's a backwards version of the groove kind of to find a way for him to sing. It's just entirely different and. Well, I'm gonna sh- we'll show you over the course of today him doing this on Dylan songs, on Elton John songs, on and Stone how bra- songs, how on McCartney that? songs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe I'm amazing. Maybe I'm amazing. We'll he, get to all of those. But like, it, how he, brave is that man to a, his open up his first solo album with a cover of an iconic song that had only been out for a year? Yes, it's just the year before. <laughs> Beggar's Banquet is '68. <laughs> this is the Rod Stewart album '69. This is Rod Stewart. Uh, and I'm trying to think the instrumentation on this. This is uh, Ronnie Wood on a lot of the guitars. I think Ronnie Wood's playing bass all through this album, too. Maybe Martin Pugh and Martin Quittenden. Certainly the drums are Mick Waller, and piano and organ on this record is all Ian McCloggan. So there are right. two two or three faces on here, too, in, in Mac and Ronnie and Rod. But Mick Waller's drums are really something. And so, uh, Rod Stewart, let's start off. First song off his first album. This is Street Fighting Man. Everywhere 
What a way to kick off Rod Stewart's uh, solo recording career and this podcast. Uh, a couple of things. The, I had forgotten... I did my lean-in to start recording again, and uh, and I was like, oh, wait just a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kick into the actual way the Stones do the version at the end and just go into this really cool jam. What Rod, Ron Wood's doing on the bass on that record is just incredible. He And Adam pointed it out while I was playing, this really funky, cool sort of uh, Motown-y bass he's playing at the first part, which I love that arrangement. And I love Rod Stewart, the way he just lets the lyrics flow out. He's not spatting them out angrily the way Jagger does, and that's the way it's written. Uh, a real revolutionary street song. But, um, and then later on, he does it that way. But that ending part reminds me a lot of what Ron Wood and Rod Stewart had just been doing with Jeff Beck. Because I, I had said to, to Adam, should we, should we play any of the Jeff Beck stuff? None of us, are, either one of us are really enamored with it. We don't think it really brings out the best of Rod Stewart and since we're celebrating him. Uh, but that last bit that they were doing there kind of reminds me of the instrumental stuff that Jeff Beck goes off and does you know, after Rod Stewart sings a couple of verses on those Beck records. <laughs> well, I, I love the, the because it's Ron Wood, who had been a bass player as well, playing a lot of the bass Yeah, uh, at, at times on these records, the Rod Stewart ones anyways, uh, a lot of the arrangements uh, center around bass parts, almost playing, rather than playing just straight rhythm, low-end bass, they're playing high-end, like almost lead guitar lines. And by doing those lead guitar lines on the bass instead of guitar right. and putting the guitars out on the fringes in the background, mm-hmm. it clears all this space in the middle for Rod. And, and the, the guitars are often around the sides and the fringes or they're very uh, trebly like acoustic guitars mm. that don't sit in that middle thick range and take up all that space. So they, they drive them rhythmically, but he'll drive a lot of the melody instruments on the bass when he's doing it. Because he's a lead guitar player as well, right? And sometimes he's playing slide all over everything. But like you'll hear it later <laughs> on Country Comforts when we get into Gasoline Alley, there's almost no, it's just piano, drums, and bass for a lot of the song, right? Um, I think it's the song I'm thinking of. And they, and, but he doesn't just play the rhythm bass. He's playing melody lines like like that. All the breakdowns where you'd think the end of a line where we're taking it around and going back into the next verse. Instead of being on guitar, they're on bass on this. You know, he's got those moments. Uh, it's a really interesting way of doing he's it. He's leading with the bass, almost like John Entwistle does with the Who in many ways. Yes, but but they were more likely to put a power chord over the top of it, whereas they're leaving space because they don't have the big electrics on here too. So right. John Entwistle did it, but 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 Keith is playing all those big uh, right, pow, Pete, Who yeah. power chords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what they're doing is they're playing acoustics or or slide guitar out on the. They're really. Uh, panned out wide right and the piano too the way the piano is yeah. pounding along in there you know handling the mid-range too. the piano's in the middle with the bass right. kind of and then they got the guitars like pretty spread out i think i'm, I'm remembering that. i'm not sure but uh one i only play one more song from this album and then i want to move to faces but uh it's his first kind of hit in here sort of i think it's more of a hit later on when it's brought back after he's famous and then when other people cover it like stereophonics later on is and, but it's a mark of his his skill as an interpreter. He does a song by Mike Dabo. Mike Dabo was uh, the the second lead singer for Manfred Mann's Earth Band. I don't think that Manfred Mann actually recorded this song. Um, they had a lot of hits. Manfred Mann, uh, Do Wa Diddy Diddy, uh, The Mighty Quinn. What's the other one? They do that. Uh, well, they had a hit Later the on, they do the Springsteen, uh, Springsteen song, uh, song uh, but "Blinded by the Light." "Blinded by the Light," and I can and for you, I believe they also do for you as well. But they have a huge hit with "Blinded by the Light." Right. Pretty Flamingo, the, the Mighty Flynn, the Mighty Quinn. Another Dylan song. Interesting uh, thing about the, the first lead singer for Manfred Mann, Paul Jones, before Mike Dabo becomes lead singer. He is playing in duet with uh, 
a guy named Elmo Lewis, which was just a a a nom de a performing name for oh, a nom de plume for for Brian Jones. And so oh, then the, he, the Stones, Brian Jones. Yes. So then he gets yeah. into doing this stuff with uh, uh, Alexis Corners Blues Incorporated, which is a long John Baldry and Mick Jagger in that band. Right. And Alexis Corner is another one I couldn't think of, but you're right. John Mayall and Alexis Corner had the two quintessential. Uh, beginning of the English blues movement, blues right. bands. So he's a playing a lot with of them. people come out of those bands. And uh, when Brian Jones and Keith Richards decide to start a band together, right? Uh, like I said, uh, Long John Baldry and Mick Jagger are also in Corner Blues Incorporated. Right. But when uh, he had previously been doing these duet shows with uh, Brian Jones, so when Brian Jones and Keith Richards decide to start a new band together, mm-hmm. they they go to Paul Jones and ask him to be the lead singer, and he turns them down. That's right. So they get the other guy from that band, who's Mick Jagger, and they form. <laughs> that's exactly right. The Rolling Stones. That's exactly right. And that's uh, a, that's Paul Jones story. ends up going on to join Manfred Mann, and they they're very successful as well. Right. Uh, not like the Stones, however. No. But uh, and think about that for two seconds. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's <laughs> and then move like, on. No uh, Mick and Keith. Move on. The whole structure of yeah. the history of rock and roll music is completely altered uh, because Paul Jones didn't want to hang out with. Brian Jones, who at that point had six illegitimate children and was running around London like a maniac, and Keith Richards, who didn't have anything but like whatever was on his back, which is so you can't blame Paul Jones for not wanting to up up with these guys. No, no, you, you, uh, you got to have a little faith in the possibility sometimes. Exactly. But uh, anyways, after Paul Jones left Manfred Mann, uh, Mick Dabo became, I mean, uh, Mike Dabo became the lead singer, and they had most of their hits with him. Actually, I think. Diddy Wah Diddy or Do Wah Diddy Diddy. That's the only one that That's Paul Jones hit. is on. Yeah. But uh, but Mike Dabo writes this song and it's called Handbags and Glad Rags. Oh, and that's a great song. It is the other side of Rod Stewart, the tender side, which has become such a prevalent part of his writing, but also his his interpretations of things. Yes, he cashed in on this. But this is a brilliant. I mean, it's never really a hit until way way later because it's not a hit off this record at all, really. But. It's quintessential uh, Rod Stewart, early Rod Stewart. This is just a beautiful example of his ability to interpret a song. Like you said, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, these type yes. of singers. Some yeah. people just interpret, some people define songs by the way they interpret them, like Sinatra, like Elvis Presley. Right. Uh, Rod Stewart defines Mike Dabo's song here. Absolutely. Um, and it's a song about a young girl uh, and an older guy trying to say to her, look, it's not all about being part of the scene there's more to life than just trying to fit in and you'll see this eventually but whatever right and he did the flip side of that with the young man and the older woman in maggie may which i right, is right. always fascinating by that yeah well that's about a seduction it's not necessarily about being taught a, a, a that kind of well, lesson. he does learn a lesson a different lesson he does learn a lesson <laughs> yeah yeah may. he misses school because um, of it but <laughs> so this is uh this is handbags and glass still from the first rod stewart album and uh still mick waller and uh ron wood playing uh drums and then bass and guitar but the piano on this song instead of being mcloggin is actually mike dabo Oh, so he plays on his own. Come song. and plays yeah. the uh, he yeah. plays the piano on this. But listen to Rod Stewart here; it's just yeah. spectacular. Ever seen a blind man cross the road? Trying to make the other side Ever seen a young girl growing old Trying to 
gonna make herself a You know, I had forgotten about the lo-fi quality. It's it's like he's it, he's there's like a distortion to he's his. He's overloading the mic. He's totally yeah, overloading yeah, it. Yeah. And um, 
but there's something sweet about it when he brings it back and he's he's right in your face. Like those first couple of lines on the record, it's like, whoa, he's so stark. There's not a lot of effects on his voice. It's just very, very garagey, this record. Um, and especially that recording. The piano seems like the most – everything else just seems a little bit like distorted. He is overloading the mic at times, but – there's something very charming about that. I, I love. Well, there's the, not a lot on there either. There's just like you know there. Uh, there's very. I don't even remember if there was any guitar on there. But no, again, it's Ron drum. Wood playing the bass as a lead instrument. Yes. Which clears all this space by doing that. With, that the lead guitar would take up, but he's doing it on the bass. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting to me. They they do this. I I didn't notice it until you know today thinking about some of this stuff. How much, you know, because he's the bass player on a lot of it, they use that on the Rod Stewart albums in place of like lead guitar lines. And it's, it, it's really wonderful because it's a whole different, you have the, in that upper range, you have the piano right. and, and the melody on in a different, and that's one melody. And then you have the guitar. It, well, it would normally be a guitar, which is in the same sonic range as the piano, but yeah. instead you're doing it on bass. So it's a, the other melodies are happening on an entirely different sonic range. They're in the low end as opposed to having to fight in the mid range with the piano, you know, uh, it's a really interesting production and, and arrangement technique because it, it, it clears a lot of space for the vocal too. Uh, but even when the vocal's not in there, the piano and the, uh, the bass, they don't fight each other at all. So they can both be playing melodies and soloing and it doesn't interfere at all because they're such different uh, frequencies. Right. You know? Yeah. And it shows how much of a great partnership they had. But getting back to Rob for a second too – you know, when he sings the title of the song, which is so long, he's almost like speaking it at the end of the verses uh, or at the end of that cor- those courses. And it's just – I just love the way he does it. There Again, there's a charm to these early Rod Stewart records. For somebody like me who was inundated with Rod Stewart, the superstar, you know, and who, you know, later on in the 80s went on to do several, you know, massive – Videos that were constantly in rotation. I know he did the cover of Downtown Train, the Tom Waits cover. There's a ton of those. But even before that, as as Adam mentioned, you know, Do You Think I'm Sexy and um, uh, Hot Legs and, oh, my God, the list is long. Um, so when you go back and listen to these early recordings and you realize how young he was and how he was feeling his way but yet had the ability to own the song, as you said, it really is very charming. I, I just love listening to this old stuff. So analog, so dry, so original and organic you almost feel like they just you know did a couple of takes and said that's good enough next <laughs> but they're very very arranged and conceived a lot of re- i mean a lot of thought went into this there you know it but that's you, the charm like I said, of it like, but, it did but, it but doesn't i mean you would normally of course well you don't want to see it but you would normally play that with a, on a guitar not on a bass yeah there's no guitar on that song i, I mean and and he's doing it on the bass that took some thought about and he does that in a lot of places where like be, maybe because he's the same it's the same guy playing both there's nobody fighting over getting their place in the song <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know so That's like true, yeah. you know, I know in our band if I wanted all the leads to be on bass <laughs> I'd have three guys sitting around doing nothing trying to figure out what my fucking problem was you know um, but let, let's move over because like, like we said at the same time this grows out of him leaving what he was doing him Roddy, Ronnie Wood leaving uh, Jeff Beck group and forming the faces, and even though that this album comes out before the first Faces album, by you know, I don't know about it's about a, a couple I don't know, of months, it's about four really. or five months later. Yeah, yeah. Because this You're album, about first step, right? Yeah, because I mean, I'm trying to think when. I have this on vinyl. It's a fantastic record. Because the this one came that came out in November of '69. Uh, an old raincoat won't ever let you down, 
and first step comes out in March. So it's like March of 70. So it's about five months later. Um, but you'll see right away, this is a whole different ball of wax. It sure is. And we talked about the boozy, bluesy, ballsy, all the bees, um, kind of band that this is. I mean, the, the faces, when you listen to the small faces, which is a completely different podcast, this pop English kinks meet Manfred Mann meet that kind of style, radio singles, two and a half minute songs. And this thing, which, which is just grungy and again, and Rod Stewart fits right in with these guys, right in with them, drinking along with them. Well, the faces are you know, the forefront of what becomes uh, American indie rock and roll in the 80s. This is the I replacements. Think so. The faces are the replacements. Yeah. 15 years before the replacements, 20 yeah. years, you know, like they are loose, sloppy, but telepathically great rock and roll. Right. Um, boozy, drunken concerts. Like the, they're so much like the replacements. Uh, I would say, you know, bands like the replacements completely. They're influenced by the faces and Big Star in a lot of ways. Right. You know, the, right. the Black Crows are influenced just as much by the faces as they are by the Stones. And it it's w- just that the faces records aren't as famous and we don't realize how much, uh, you know, that's where it, it's derived from as well. Right. And there's a great bridge. The Stones are the greatest example of this, but this is right there with them. Maybe 1A, 1B, or however you want to uh, couch it. Is that that transition from the '60s to the '70s sound? That the, the '60s, the, the late '60s, build up into what we would get a lot of in the early '70s. That rock and roll s- sound are on these records. And the other thing that they possess that the Stones played with but didn't really get to, I think, later until the '70s, is that this is a very funky band. This is a band, thanks to Ron Wood and his bass playing, as you said before. There's a and, and Rod Stewart's almost soulful Sam Cooking uh, kind of style, whereas Jagger was going more towards the you know uh, the the lead belly or the deep voiced you know muddy waters singing uh, of the blues style. Rod Stewart's doing the more of the soulful kind. So I think that was a great combination of a rock and roll band and where Rod Stewart. Where it's going to go, and I think I'm pretty sure I know the song you're going to play because we t- discussed it briefly before we started. But this is an excellent example of that. I mean, well, the bass on here is Ronnie Lane, though, and it's, but also Still. Ronnie Lane because they have three songwriters in this band. They often write together, um, and then they have four because McLaughlin writes some things as well. But you have Ronnie Lane, who very famously later on is the writer of Ooh La La, right, uh, and the singer of Ooh La La, who also sings on some stuff. Yeah, um, you he have Rod my Stewart, song Ronnie Lane, yeah. and. Uh, well, he sings on Stone, Stone which you want to play. Which I love. But uh, Ronnie Lane, Rod Stewart, and Ron Wood all writing. So you have yeah. three guys writing. They they write separately. They write together. They help each other out. They they. But I mean, they are. And Rod Stewart. It, it reminds me in some ways of like what it was like for me in Himalayans, where I didn't have to be responsible for running everything. I didn't have to formulate the whole vision. I could just sing and get lost in it and let go, and sing in ways that were for me unbridled at the time. And it was a real lesson that I, without that time, I would never have been able to become the singer I think I became later without having spent that time in Himalayans. Um, and, and just to let go and not be so concerned about the constructing the, the vision of everything, but just... And Rod Stewart on these, in a, in a way that's different, similar, but different from the Rod Stewart stuff, he lets himself go and just blows his head off on oh, some of this does. stuff. he does, yes. Um, 
But let's just start off with this song. He's this in a the band now. In that other, he's interpreting songs on his solo album, and he will do that in his original material as well in later albums. But with this, I got the feeling that this was his fun project where he could just, as you said, get lost with the rest of the guy. He's in the band. He's a bit part of the band. He's a lead singer, but he's part of the band. In the case of Rod Stewart, he's got to be the visionary. He's got to figure out where he's, what songs he's going to yeah. do, how he's going to do it. It's, it's a lot of fun. So here you've got... Mickey Waller, on, not sorry, Mickey Waller. You have, you have Kenny Jones later Kenny of the Jones. Who on drums, right? Ronnie Lane on bass, uh, Ian McLoggin on keys and or organs and piano. You have Rod Stewart on vocals, and you have on this song at least, and, and Ron Wood on guitar. This is around the plinth from the first Faces record, March of 1970, from First Step. Here's the Faces. Come on. 
about the place that I was born. But from my hometown, I was told that the tender age of four, I was living by homemade love. I never knew what it was to be late. My desires are never to slay. love that <sighs> it does at the end of those sections uh we were cracking up listening to this because for, for many reasons but uh it's so goddamn cool and you could play that song a hundred times and, and you get a hundred different results um i mean maybe completely disparate results the guitar the slide guitar playing that ron wood's doing in there which you could see him you could see where he would perfectly fit in with the rolling stones one day is is really doing kind of what he was doing on the bass in the earlier songs with Rod Stewart in, in the sense where him and the drummer are doing all this, you know, these funky often, you know, him and Kenny Jones, and he's, he's hitting the, he's holding the, the, the cymbal, Kenny Jones, he's coming off and playing off the hi-hat, and there's like a weird stuff going on in there, and Rod Stewart's just trying to fill it in with whoops and yells and, and that crazy echo he has on his voice. It's, it's very, very soulful blues. I love that. That's a great example of, the faces early or later i mean it's what the faces did well you know yeah it's and it's pretty blistering um blistering, very good one yeah like where is the bass on that song <laughs> I, don't know. I just noticed that when you were saying it like the guitar he's going insane on the on the bottleneck slide but it's just like the two of them just went off and did th- something for two minutes well and the drums the drums are there too though that's what i'm saying the drum, oh, oh, the drum yeah, yeah. yeah yeah no i mean it's fantastic and it funky really and like completely original you know, and, and you know, their own kind of mess. It's sloppy, but it's fun sloppy, and you could tell. And it's so I guarantee they were they were done with that. Was like we can never do that again. Let's just that's the cut. That's the take. I mean, it's so cool. I mean, they're playing. It's like a jam. It's a jam, is what it is. And they're so. And this is like really evident. It's one of the things I think that makes the faces so bracing and refreshing, is the fact that. 
they largely seem to be having the time of their motherfucking lives when they're playing. It just yes. it's it's like so in not just like on the instruments, but Rod is just like fucking having fun singing and but the they just seem like they're having the time of their lives playing together and it, and it seems absolutely unbridled, unfettered, unrestrained at all. And they they always feel that way when they're on these kind of numbers and I think it's one of the refreshing things about the faces and why people love them. And probably in their own way, the replacements too, is because there's a certain spirit of rock and roll and just playing like that. Yes. And, and the fact that even though it's a little sloppy at times, it comes together in ways that are just like, it, it, you know, it's it's telepathy. It is. And, and let's say this too. You make a great point. Where the stones were dark and brooding and sometimes satanic and revolutionary and anti-establishment, the faces were just the guys at the pub – you know, they're all smiling. Go, go, do yourself a favor when you're done with this podcast. Go to YouTube and find some great BBC stuff, old great whistle tests. Go see the faces playing in the early 70s. Look at those. They're all cracking up, smiling at each other. They've got, you know, they're stumbling into each other. It's just, it's a fun to watch. It's a great, you want to be, you want to go out and join or start a rock and roll band. It's kind of what we said about the Stooges or about the Ramones later on. It's like you, you hear that and you're like, I want to be that. I want to do that. Where do I find guys like that and get involved and make music? They're having the time of their life. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. They're uh, and the t- the name of the box set that the 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 the, the, uh, the like career defining box set that was put out uh, years ago is Five Guys Walk Into a Bar. Dot dot dot. That's the name of the uh, that's the name of the of the uh, of the of the album because like that is quintessentially. The faces. It totally is. Yeah. Um, and shows both sides of Rod Stewart there. Uh, as, as you were saying before, you know, you got the very well arranged, structured songs in his solo work. And in the faces, it's less so. It's more free form and fun. Now, I'm sure they sweat, sat down and rehearsed the shit out of these songs and, yeah, and yeah. arranged them. They had to. And that is one of his. That's a, that's a co-write. That's, that's Rod and Ron's song, Around the Plinth. Right. That is their song. It's a... Yes. It's, uh, it's not a, that's what's one of the ones they wrote. Um, and, but like we said before, they have many. They have not many. They have they have multiple songwriters in this band and multiple singers. Yes, and we really want to explore that as well. While yes, we're, it's very. This record itself is very diverse. Yeah, and so you wanted to play Stone. I yeah. I I think this is my favorite song on the record. I think this is one of those songs. It's now we're getting into the uh, country aspect of the band, sort of the. Uh, you know, Scottish, English, out in the fields kind of style. And this is Ronnie Lane, you pointed out to me, right? Singing oh, this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ronnie Lane wrote and sang this one. And uh, I really, I, I didn't think we would dive into this for this podcast because, you know, we're concentrating on Rod Stewart. But this is an excellent example of how really um, they had many voices, as you were saying, but they also had different styles that they that they embraced. and play. This is a beautiful song. I love this song. I like the way it's arranged. It's a traditional number. Uh, he wrote it, but it's based on a traditional melody, an old traditional melody or something. But, oh, I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, so anyway, this is uh, off the same record, amazingly, and it's a song called Stone.
many years ago Into a pool of straw Many years ago Time passed by And poor and dry As completed was I And temple and beat In fiery heat By the end of a man Whose name was Dan Dan the blacksmith Many years ago, and my blade was broad. Many years ago, one with pride and a battle I'd ride at a warrior's side. And I caught and I killed and was lost in a field. And I soon did rust, I corrode the dust. Just green and lazy And many years ago When I was at my goat Who fell in a moat And forget the float He sunk like a lay And I stayed until dead I must believe to find About just how kind It all was And I lived in red mud Many years ago But on the very first moon I became a cocoon That resembled a prune When the good love was done In the warmth of the sun I shed my skins And I dried my wings And I flew away Well, once I was a fool For I had to struggle for survival And once I was a car That lived in water for a man And once I was a man of black holy Wild, said the devil a 
Yeah, and if you wonder why we're playing in a, in a podcast ostensibly about Rod Stewart, why we're playing you a song he doesn't sing on, if you're wondering what he's busy doing on that song, he's playing the banjo and the harmonica. And singing the background. And singing Harmony. backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, I love Ronnie Lane's vocal on there, but I, I, you know, Rod Stewart, very much a part of that. You know, sometimes... Uh, yes. Harmonica playing in that is amazing. That is such Appalachian American sound. An incredible young English boy's... Uh, of course, steeped in blues and rock and roll, and for Rod Stewart, soul. But uh, I mean, that—that's a foot stomping Arkansas number right there. Listen again. This is their first record, so they are hitting different bells right out of the gate and doing it again in a fun-loving way. That just—you looks like you want to be sitting right there with them in a circle, making that noise. It's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song, and and. Uh... But loose in those ways, only the faces are, you know. Uh, yep. So that's March of 1970. Three months later, <laughs> uh, Rod Stewart releases his second album. That's amazing. Which is called Gasoline Alley, June of 1970. And this is one of my favorite records. Um, it doesn't have as many things written by Rod as later ones do, but on this record, he covers uh, he covers Dylan. He writes one of his one of my does write uh, some great Rod Stewart material, but in the title song for Gasoline Alley. But he covers Dylan, he covers Bobby Womack, he covers the f- small faces. Right. <laughs> he covers the small faces That's on right. this. Mm-hmm. Covers Elton John. Covers uh, I don't know who wrote it, but it's it was an old Eddie Cochran song. Uh, but it, it's it's an incredible his interpretation of other things on here. They're knockout versions. And he makes every one of them his own. His Dylan covers, he, you know, there are people who are famous for singing Dylan songs. You know, the, certainly Fairport Convention did a lot of Dylan stuff. The the Birds, all oh, of their yeah. early hits are Dylan songs. Sure, sure. Um, but on this album and the album after this, Rod Stewart does two of the best Dylan covers I've ever heard. Uh, I want to get to one of them in a second, but his interpretation of Dylan in ways that you would never even think they were Dylan songs. But this is a great, great record, Gasoline Alley. And again, he's still working in this way of there are very few electric guitars on the record. They, they are there, I believe, but there are very few of them. It's a lot of acoustic guitars, but they're not – it's not limp. They are beating the shit out of these guitars, and they are playing them as if their lives depended on it. And 
uh, I remember something Emmer used to always say when we were working on acoustic material, when we were trying to reinterpret songs for Counting Crows, or when we were working on stuff for Sunday mornings, that like you cannot play acoustic instruments limply as just because they're acoustic. It's not just as quiet and limp. They need you need to have twice the attention that you do with electric because you can't get away with shit, and you have to completely keep your intensity up playing acoustic instruments. And it's something a lot of people forget. Yeah, it's easy just to like strum. Um, but on these records, he's really not using many electric instruments. Uh, you know, this band, he's got Ronnie Wood and Martin Quittenden playing a lot of the acoustic guitars. Uh, Ronnie Lane plays bass on a couple things, one of them, which is the, the Small Faces cover they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, McCloggan plays most of the piano and organ, uh, although it, it says he doesn't on the record. So I think that, uh, and Pete Sears plays on a couple things as well and, and plays bass on one of the songs. The drums are almost all Mickey Waller, except a couple. Or Kenny Jones, um, the Small Faces cover again because it's you know sure. Um, he he was notoriously bad for like uh, the credits on his records at times. Like on this record, there's a is it not this is it this record? No, it's the one after this where I think he said, I think it's on the on the song Mandolin Wind. He couldn't remember the guy's name, so I think on the record it just says the mandolin guy from Pentangle. <laughs> I think it just says that. Um, no, that's now, for every, every picture tells a story. That's that on that record, right? I think that's yeah, the third it's one. On that, it's okay, on that record, yeah. because before we started doing this, Adam and I were just talking, you know, briefly about the different records we loved in the early days, and I, I kept thinking every picture tells a story was like the second album, and I guess the reason why I'm thinking that it's more like the first one I remember specifically, not only because there's a couple of big hits on that record, but because those songs have a lot more original material on them. What he was doing on the first couple of solo albums, it seems, is taking these other songs and making them his own, as you mentioned with Dylan and with, um, you know, Small Faces, or in the case of Bobby Walmart or Elton John Country Comfort, which he does a great job with, but also like for, well, he does Only a Hobo on this, right? Yes, that's the Dylan one. Yeah, Yeah. and then he he does, um, it's all over now, is that what he does? Is that on here? Uh, What's the Womack song he's doing? Yeah, on this? I think it's on this record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it was. It's like he's every couple of months he's putting out like these songs, this jam band songs, and then sort of the way Elvis would would do a record where he he chooses songs that he thinks are really good for him and how he could really expand on them and make them his own. And I think that's really a fascinating way to build his career out. Well, he's writing original material on these albums. There's like two or three songs on the first two that are original. There's just more on the later ones. Right, but that but, is the outstanding ones is his covers and how he does them, yes, how he interprets and it, them. It yeah. is because he's what he's developing, it's funny because I've often said this when people ask me about like our cover album, you know, about about Underwater Sunshine is that when you love a band, it's not just the songwriting cuz it's it's cuz that's just one guy often, sometimes with collaboration. It's what they do with those songs, the arrangement the work that goes into turning that song from something like that I wrote on the piano to into, you know, hard candy, that work we do together, going from that piano piece I had to that is what makes counting crows, counting crows. That's the same work we did on underwater sunshine. You know that, you know, I didn't write just those songs, your songs, but they, but we did all that work together, right. which is why it's one of my favorite records. But what he's doing is he's really developing a, a style and a theory of how to play music with and without electric guitars on these records that then really, really comes into his own on every picture tells a story when he writes a lot of material and then so we, puts that stuff into that that style into that stuff. Right. So you're saying that he's building a foundation of arranging 
to allow yeah. those songs. Yeah, because him and Ron Wood are really just arranging these songs in a way, like you were saying, the bass being like a lead instrument or the acoustic guitars being overloaded or the way he interprets the song. It's not just him singing. It's him arranging the songs. They're coming up with this whole original theory way. of how to play... I don't want to call it folk music, but other people, you would, if you normally just looked at one of these records and saw the, uh, the, the instrumentation, the, right. you would say it's a folk record, right. but they don't play folk music like folk, like folk records. They beat the living shit out of them. Right. It's like a punk version of folk music, it, except <laughs> when they're playing slow stuff and they do it. But I mean, they'll play a huge rock and roll song with only acoustic instruments or only acoustic guitars, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll rock just as hard as anything anyone else does. Like, Every Picture Tells a Story is one of the most rocking songs ever written with very little electric on it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Maggie May. Right. There's almost no electric guitar on those. And he's developing that sort of way of arranging stuff on these records. And there are some, like, I'll, I'll play you one right now. He develops a way of writing that is the slice of life that gets into the details of personal life and the details of people's worlds that is so richly detailed in that it's like Faulkner in some ways the way he writes um Gasoline Alley is a song about his youth and what he remembers of being a little kid set to some brilliant guitar playing by Ron Wood slide and 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 picking but uh this is the opening song on Gasoline Alley it's written by Rod Stewart and Ronnie Wood mm-hmm. um it's a very sweet song and it's a great way to open this record yeah this is Gasoline Alley Straight to the head. 
Let it be known that my intentions were good I'd be singing in the alley if I could And if I'm called away and it's my turn to go Should the blood run cold in my veins Just one favor I'll be asking of you Don't bury me here, it's too cold Take me back Carry me back down to Gasoline Alley where I started from. Take me back, won't you carry me on down to Gasoline Alley where I started from. Take me back, carry me back down to Gasoline Alley where I started from. Take me back, carry me back down to Gasoline Alley where I started from. Take me back, carry me back. Yeah, I'm glad you corrected me on that one because uh, that's that's probably his first really truly great song, you know, that he wrote, and it's on this record, which predates um, another picture uh, or every picture tells a story, uh, and it does give you the foundation of everything that Rod Stewart would do for the rest of the decade. I mean, and there are some other originals on this record that are really good. Lady Day's beautiful song, Joe's Lament. Um, they are. There's three of them, but I mean. Essentially, there's seven covers on it, among those, and there's three originals. And you know, among those are some really quintessential interpretations of those songs. Um, In some cases, like Country Comfort, it's as good as it gets. I mean, he doesn't choose like who's doing only a hobo. I mean, really, it's not like he's doing a cover of like a Rolling Stone or where's only a hobo from? That's really early, right? That's like, like sixty two, sixty one. That, that's what, not that even on the record. No, it's not. okay, so. I, the first time I heard that was when they released the Carnegie Hall stuff. Well, I think that the thing with Dylan back then is um, he wrote a lot of material and had very active publishers. Oh, yeah. He wrote songs would, specifically for people to cover. But yeah. they would, And they would just bring people in, though. Like, I, I, there's a story I read about in Fairport Convention where uh, they get invited to the offices. I, can't, I don't know if it's EMI, whatever the publisher was. Yeah, probably Grossman. Or whatever office, some office in London, though, but I don't know if it's Grossman himself doing it. Yeah. It's just some publishing yeah. company. Uh, they get invited into the office, and, and they get played a ton of Dylan songs and saying, is there anything you want to use? You yes. know, So I think his, there's a reason why, you know, it's not just like with Dylan at that point, because there's so many extra songs, it's not just like you heard it on a record, so you want to cover it. I think his publishers were very aggressive about going to all these other musicians and saying, here's a new, a new batch of Dylan songs. Right. If you want, you know, right. Um, right. I don't know for sure. I know there's a story about uh, that I read. No, about. you're 100. percent That that's exactly what happened. They were they were pitching Dylan as a as a songwriter to write song. I mean, he was writing for his own records, but he was expanding out. They were yeah. tons of people recovering a, a lot of his songs. I mean, even something like um, uh, not the times they are changing, but the one before that, uh, the Cambrian Man. No, the civil rights song. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. The um, uh, um, uh, how many roads? Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, Born in the Wind. Born in the Wind. 
that that song was made famous by Peter Paul and Mary, who was managed by by Grossman. That they made it a huge hit. I mean, yeah. uh, Dylan put it on his record, but well, the same thing's true of the Birds hit. They're much bigger hits for the Birds than they are for Dylan at the time. Absolutely. No, I mean, yeah, Tambourine Man is a way bigger hit for for the birds. Yes. Rock and roll is just becoming a major industry at this point, and so they're probably realizing that songwriters are a major commodity. Yes, and with with a million rock bands suddenly appearing, not all of which write their own songs at the same level, they need something to put on their records. Dylan can be this because it's it's the birds, it's Peter Paul and Mary, it's uh, Fairport Convention. Just in the same way that early Stones and Beatles records are basically Chuck Berry jukeboxes. Well, it's what it's what Carol King did with Goffin. It's what Neil Diamond did. It's the Brill Building stuff. Bob Dylan was the destruction of that because Bob Dylan is recording. Him and the Beatles are recording their own songs that they're writing. But the one thing about Bob Dylan, which John Lennon and Paul McCartney both said, what we want to do is be songwriters. We know this thing doesn't have much legs. You, yeah. There's interviews with them in 63, 64 going, we want to sit back and write songs for other people. And, of course, it didn't pan out for them as much they had a few hits for other people certainly uh, words of love is one example or the stones uh, did a, uh, i want to be your man but uh dylan was writing songs at an amazing clip and they were trying to sell them but getting back to rod stewart he's taking songs again that are not he does it with maybe i'm amazed later but you know what maybe i'm, I'm amazed did not become a hit until the live version in 76 it wasn't a big hit off that first mccartney album it's a great song but it wasn't a hit so he's taking songs and interpreting songs that are not holy shit there's rod stewart doing blah 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 it's almost like people are hearing country comfort for the first time because rod stewart's doing it yeah and I, well i mean it's not a huge album for him tumbleweed connection is that what it's on yes of? it's on tumbleweed connection it's not, it's not, a, big, not a big album it's um, the only one that doesn't have a hit well, only a hobo. Which you want to hear that or country comfort? Which it's you want to play? Totally up or to Or my you, way my of giving. There's all three. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, let's play only a hobo because I really want to make. Well, we might want to play all of them, but I want to make this point about the Dylan because it, this will come up again on on uh, on every picture tells a story. With is it tomorrow is a long time. I don't. Know. Yeah, but I mean, let's start right here. This is on this this is it's on Gasoline Alley. This is only a hobo. This is a Bob Dylan song, and and uh, very early. Rod very Stewart early. just completely owns it. Step was 
his pillow, his treat was his bed. One look at his face showed the horror would come. And a fistful of money showed the coins that he had found. He was only a hobo, but one boy has gone. Leaving the body to sing his sad song. Of a man to see a whole life go down, to look on the world from a hole in the ground. Too late for your future, like a horse that's gone lame, to lie in the gutter and die with no name. He was only a hobo, but one more is gone. Yeah, it's a funny story I found on on uh, on the internet while listening to this. Apparently, Dylan was never really happy with that song because it was very derivative. So he would play it live, but he felt it was very much like Woody Guthrie. I mean, it's reeks yeah, yeah. of Woody Guthrie. It's when he was going through his... And Woody... even the title and being about a hobo. Hobo, yeah. 61, 62 when he wrote it. Kind of coming into his own as a songwriter, figuring himself out. But he heard this version in 1970... And thinks this is the quintessential version and immediately tried to re-record it in this fashion. He used Rod Stewart's, and I'm, I'm using my words now, the pathos he puts into it, the understated aspect of it, not the preachy kind of way that it could come off. It reminds me a little bit of like, you know, the, the Mr. Bojangle story. You know, I find this guy and here's a story and he's, you know, he's struggling and giving humanity to this, this person, um, hobo, another word for homeless or, you know. And back in the forties, called a bum, or you know, uh, uh, you know, like the the Bowery kind of style. But um, he he heard Rod Stewart's and he tried to re-record. You remember Dylan did that cover album of a bunch of stuff called Dylan, I think. Um, and uh, he was going to record it for that because that was around seventy seventy one. But he just couldn't do it. 
And he, he just said, that's it. It's Rod Stewart's song. So that's an example of what you were talking about. The songwriter, one of the great songwriters of the 20th century, saying that Rod Stewart, here, he owns it. It's not even, he, it's not mine anymore. It's his song. I can't do it. Well, I think he does this quite a few times. And, and he has a real sense of that, for a guy that doesn't come from any, a cunt, of, of the sort of uh, the pastoral elements of that take place lyrically in country music. Uh, and Good for word. capturing those yeah. characters, the same thing on a, what's it, a, you know, in in the you know, uh, Elton John and Bernie Taupin were famous for doing this because Bernie Taupin was obsessed with the American West. For yes. a British, you know, songwriter, he was obsessed. And with the, the band. West. I just saw a documentary about the second making of the second band album, and Taupin is one of the people they interviewed for it. Oh yeah, I mean, he's just so obsessed with the the narratives about cowboys and that sort of thing, uh, and he writes songs about it, and they have lovely melodies, and sometimes they come off. I feel like they get away with it on some Elton John albums because he's such a there's so much you know it's a great band and they get away with some stuff, but it, it doesn't seem like it's not authentic. Graham Parsons it, lo- yeah. it lacks some authenticity at times. Right, but those same characters, uh, in fact, the same song because he covers a song from Tumbleweed Connection on here, uh, right. uh, Country Comfort. Comfort. Right. You know, like the the natural. You know, I saw Grandma yesterday down at the store. Well, she's looking really fine for 84. And she asked me if I, if sometime I'd fix the barn. Poor old girl. She needs a man down on the farm. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, it's a very down-homey lyric. And it, and to Ellen's credit, he does write a really good country song. Yes, he does. Melodically, it works totally well. Yeah, but when Elton does it, it's like an English guy doing a country song. A little bit, yeah. No, I mean, I love his version of Country Comfort, too. But there's a certain way in which it's kind of fun and cute the way Elton and Bernie get into the American West at times on things. On all those records. But Rod Stewart just inhabits it here yes his version of country comforts isn't a whole different thing it's just it's just i will say something else about only a hobo it is magnificent what's going on behind it i don't i think it's martin quittenden playing a lot of the it doesn't i don't know who plays the acoustic guitar and what i do know that the slide when it comes in is for sure ronnie wood right and i think he plays the bass on that too although i'm not sure uh, and it definitely sounds like double bass on that just because it just sounds it's got that that woody celloy just the melodies of it i mean the melody that's taking place on the bass so that he can play the bass against the slide like there's an acoustic guitar playing and then the slide bottleneck comes in over the acoustic with the bass it's like and then it, when it stops for a minute the bass is in there playing melodies and uh, it's that just, seems to be a thing that you're you're projecting in this podcast that Ron Wood has done better than most, and that's using the bass as a lead instrument as a counterpoint to what everything else is going on, but also allowing the rest of the band to take part in the other. Yeah, ranges. I mean, uh, the, the next song on the record, we might as well play it because we're here. It's a funny thing because he's covering a song by his band before he joined it, because <laughs> uh, uh, he gets they cover a Small Faces song here. Uh, from I don't know what album it's on, but it's it's called My Way of Giving, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a Steve Marriott song I think. No, Ronnie Lane and Steve Marriott. Yeah. So for this one, the faces come come to play on it as well, and uh, Ronnie Ronnie Lane plays the bass, Kenny Jones plays the drums instead of Mick Waller, uh, and uh, cool. Ron, Ron Wood and Rod Stewart. Uh, and it could be on a Faces record, but it's not. It's on a Rod Stewart record. Yeah. Because you know they're, they're maybe they're leaving the small faces behind now that they're the faces, mm-hmm. and all that's stick about because the first faces album is actually called it was the original versions are it says the small faces on it first does step. it does yes, but sir. by the time they make their second album they're the faces but the funny thing is here they are in rod's album and they're actually covering small faces yes uh and so this is a 
Rod Stewart and the rest of the faces uh, covering the small faces. Um, <laughs> Are you following along? <laughs> this is my way of giving. From still from this same album, Gasoline Alley. Giving it all. 
great version of that. Everybody who listens to this show has a lot of homework to do. I said, go find YouTube videos of the faces playing in the early 70s. Someone needs to listen to the original version of that song because that's such a 60s, mid-60s, go-go dancing pop song. But it's only, I think the original version is like a minute and a half long. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like 90 are, seconds long. Yeah. Um, it's funny about that, uh, you know, they credit Ronnie Lane as singing the background vocals on that. Of course, he's also playing the bass. But he's not really singing the background vocals. He's the lead vocal on the, on the chorus. That's him singing, that the part of my way. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, and it's yeah. Rod way up high singing those way off harmonies yeah, in, in the choruses, yeah. Yeah. which are completely killer. I know. Uh, and uh, I love the way it uh, – it, uh, speaking, speaking of credits, the, uh, I read this thing on Wikipedia that the, the original British album, the credits, uh, they listed Mac and it was said – from Ian McLaughlin, it said Mac not available due to bus strike. But then the U.S., when, when it came out in America, they credited him as piano and organ on the album. And he clearly is on the album because that's him playing. For sure, that's Ian McCloggan yeah, playing the organ yeah. right there. So he's definitely on the album. They think he was uh, recorded later, but they had already, like, I don't know what the fuck they were. Like I said, his habit with credits is a little weird at times. Yes. Um, what I love is how, like, the weird way of the different verses start differently. One of them starts with just bass playing this weird line over the first line. And then the drums come in with a on the second line. And then the third verse, it's weird. It's like the guitar and the organ are playing some shit. And then the drums come in, but not like midway through the verse, just right on the second line in a weird way. Yes. As if it's, as if it was like, you're hanging in the air on that first line while the vocals and the something plays. And then the band comes in. It's really kind of crazy. It's and cool. really crazy. It's like there's a rock song going on and a soul song going on, and somewhere in there is the melody of an English pop song from the 1960s. It's like three things going on in this song because the guitar, it sounds yeah. very soul. And Rod Stewart, of course, is soulful voice. Then it gets to the chorus where Ronnie Lane comes in and he gives you, he brings you back to the way the song was because it's his song. And the chorus is there. It's a very strong chorus, very sing-songy. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then it goes into this weird jammy part that I, I pointed out to you that, that for some reason Kenny Jones starts playing on the one and three like this weird reggae thing. Then he goes back to the two and four, and then the bass is just wailing along. Again, you've got time. a lot of melody lines on bass in the song, although it's not Ronnie Wood. Yes. It's Ronnie Lane playing, but you have a lot of melody lines happening on the bass. But I love that thing because Kenny Jones is playing like a little bit like Keith Moon in that he keeps making those crazy rolls at the end of the line and you like you keep wondering whether he's going to make it to the one or not yes is he and he does and he does and he does and then he doesn't that, he does. that one he does that crazy roll and then he just like hangs it and starts the beat on the on the one on the, on the two thing. on the one, on the one and the, one three, and the three. two and the four it's weird yes he plays it for one half of a line he plays it backwards then he goes into he another roll and comes out on time yeah but uh, Yeah, listen to that again, because that is very weird. But yeah, I was going to say, the one thing that I've noticed, and I've, I always had a feeling about Rod Stewart, um, and I have not read much about him. This is all going from my memory of having listened to his work or maybe reading a critique or two. But it seems to me from this podcast that Rod Stewart was not a control freak and that allowed his bands to really go off and, and do different things. Whereas you listen to a lot of people, especially that have solo careers, they're very much in control of what's going on. So a lot of stuff that's going on in these these records seem pretty unbridled. Not oh, I don't just know, the though. Faces, I mean, on the faces you know? it does, but to me, they're very arranged Maybe because on the this faces one. are playing this on this This is a faces record. song. Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. On this one song. Right, And true. they play a couple other places, but this one song specifically is a face song, and they're playing on it. Mm-hmm. But to me, like, there's a that real... Uh, conceptual... I don't know what the word... There's a real 
it's very conceptualization, so, correct? Not just thematically, like in what they're writing about, but in his ideas of how he wants to do these things, how he's interpreting people's songs to make them his own, and how they want to like arrange music to leave space for things, mm-hmm. because these songs are very listenable because they've really thought about how to make them happen. The act of not having the drums there on the first line of all those verses that, that forces you to focus on other things playing off the beat and the vocal, which really puts a lot of focus on the vocal. There's a lot of thought that goes into that. And this is not his song. Like I said, it's a Faces song. Right. But, you know, the one we're going to play after this is, is the Elton John song we were talking about. Elton John and Bernie Toppin's Country Comfort, still from Gasoline Alley. I, I'm going to play a lot of songs from this record because it is him interpreting some of the great songwriters of the time mm-hmm. in a completely unique ways. And making these songs his own completely, whether it's a soul song like Bobby Womack or Only a Hobo We Heard or that one, a Ronnie Lane and Steve Marriott song from Small Faces. Uh, in this one, it's uh, there's very little guitar until a little while into the song. It's it's drums, I think, uh, and the piano, which on, the, on this one is Pete Sears comes in. Pete Sears plays piano on this and plays some bass later on the album. Pete Sears later joins... Uh, I don't think he's in Jefferson Airplane, but he joins... Je- he's the keyboard player for Jefferson Starship. Oh, okay. Um... And uh, back to Mick Waller on drums, but uh, it's that it's the bass by Ronnie Lane is the lead on a lot of this song. It's like it's just the the piano and that bass that really plays. The guitar comes in eventually, but first you get a lot of piano, bass, and drums, and yeah. the bass is playing lead lines, which uh, is kind of the way Elton recorded it. And I just I want to I want to qualify what I said earlier. I think that, and both of us are saying. I think that Elton John and I love Tumbleweed Connection. And actually, Adam and I were waxing poetic about it when I played played that one song that uh, What's Her Face sings on the background in one of our background. Remember we were talking about yeah, that? Yeah, uh, Ballad uh, of a Well Known Gun. Yes, yeah. and and I love that record. I, I think he's had better records. And the same thing with Maybe I'm Amazed. I'm just saying that Rod Stewart's so good at interpreting things, these songs. I've actually come to be more fond of this version of the song. I, I just have to say, right well, off I, the bat. I agree with you, too. I, I love that Elton John song, and I think it's real, there's something very charming about the way they do that. But there's a thing Rod does here where it's just like, oh, it's just my song. I just wrote it. Yes. And, and, and he inhabits the characters. This this guy, the it's almost like Fairport playing those minstrel songs about, you know, guys, you know, harvest coming in, and, and they really inhabit it. Mm-hmm. He's inhabiting this this country song right here in a way that's like, I mean, it doesn't have to be Western. It could be the English countryside, too. It just it just is. Um, what's the other line in this song that I always love so much? Uh, it's the last verse. Um, Down at the mill, they've got a new machine. Foreman says it cuts manpower by 15. Oh, but that ain't natural, old man Grayson says, because he's a horse-drawn man until his dying day. Yeah. Uh, it's great, Bernie Toppin. Oh, but that ain't natural. That ain't I natural. mean, but Rod Stewart pulls that line off in a way that, like, well, you'll see. It's It's a great version of that song and the band here is spectacular but again watch for the uh the, the ron wood bass playing on this song it's, it's just spectacular um is it ron wood or is it because uh, i think i thought you said earlier it was uh it was no Pete sears plays the piano on this one and and who, who's playing the bass ron Wood's i'm pretty sure it's got to be ron wood because oh, okay. ronnie lane only plays on a couple songs okay pete sears will play uh bass on the one we're going to play after this but this is ron wood i'm pretty sure okay okay and pete sears on the piano uh I assume it's Mick Waller on drums and then Ron Wood eventually on the guitar as well. And enjoy the Bernie Toppin lyrics here because, again, this and, and Ellen does a great job in capturing this in the melody. It does it does predate a lot of the, the, the sort of the comeback of the southern sound after the band 
establishes it. And then Dylan does his record that establishes that kind of sound. Um, Elton and Bernie played with that for more than one album. And I think that Rod Stewart, again, you said it already beautifully. He just, he, he takes it on and he becomes that character. And it's like he wrote it. But I will say that a lot of this has to do with whatever the collaboration of the band on this, and which has to be, you know, at least in some way also credited to Ron Wood. Some of what they're doing together here, which is vastly different from the faces, but uh, I don't want to say it's because Rod does all the stuff on this record or, or the other way around, you know, that, that it's a good this, collaboration. Their, their collaboration is a brilliant collaboration. Really is. And this is, uh, this is them doing Elton John and Bernie Toppin, Country Comforts, still Gasoline Alley. This is Rod Stewart. will be falling everywhere Village children always fighting for their share And the 609 goes roaring down the creek As Parson Lee prepares his service for next week I saw Grandma yesterday Oh, country 
that is, you know, it's very subtle things he does in there vocally. Again, everybody run and listen to your Elton version of this and compare it because uh, he doesn't, the lyric goes, uh, and he sings it earlier, country comfort is the road that's going back home. But he gets rid of back and he just makes it about going home. But oh, the really? The way he sings it, it's a road that's going home, that's going home. He just keeps repeating that. It's so sweet at the end. It's just great. Um, and Elton is, is much more staccato. And the run that's going back home. You know, and he has that, that way he sings to give it that country flavor, which adds to its sort of, not corniness, but Jagger used to do that too, which used to drive uh, a Parsons uh, crazy, Graham Parsons crazy, and Keith too, because Jagger would always, you know, vamp up the English or the yeah. country. Uh, they did great country songs, the Stones, but this is a case of a guy really inhabiting the character. And, uh, yeah, I bet you if you pin down Bernie, he'd probably say that's this is the way this song is structured. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just... And again, you've got piano, and then it's bass and drums that come in at the beginning of the, the top of the second verse. Um, that's th- right. Because th- it goes verse, verse, and then chorus. Gum, 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 gum. And... Uh, but it's it's it, it's all the the lead lines are played on bass, and then it's not till the end of the chorus that the electric guitar comes in, plays a spectacular chorus cool coda yeah. solo. It's fantastically melodic, mm. uh, completely. Uh, it's like another vocal line. Yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. It it, it really makes the song. It's a memorable solo, and then it goes away again. Yeah. And that's and the end of back it. To, <laughs> no more electric guitar. We're back to much. bass and, and piano yeah. and drums. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's Ronnie Wood deciding that I can do this on this instrument. I don't have to get up here in the way of the vocal. Except for here, when the vocal's not here, I will play this guitar, and it inhabits because they're they're in that freak piano, guitar, and vocals are all on a certain frequency, kind of together. But he stays out of that frequency by playing it all on bass, you know. And that's it's a very Interesting choice they make throughout this. I don't know what, who, whose idea it is, but it's pretty brilliant. So I was going to play one more song, and we should stop. I wanted to finish out this record, and and, uh, and then we'll be back in a week, and we're, we're going to continue this Rod Stewart thing. We'll get back more into uh, the second Faces album, Long right. Player, and then that, that, of course, is followed by the classic, the greatest Rod Stewart album, Pretty Every Picture Tells a Story. Yes. Um, but... Uh, I want to play one more song off this record. I just Although this sh- record has jumped up in my oh, it's memory. Great job record. bringing this up because, you know, I love this record, but not this much. I mean, I, for- I forgot how many great songs are on this thing. And, I mean, in playing this, I kind of want to play. I forgot even what you were going to play now. Which I kind of like- want to play Cut Across Shorty. But there's also, I mean, in the sort of like, that's skipping his version of It's All Over Now, which is also amazing. The Bobby Womack and, and Oh, Shirley yeah, G, and I the love Womack the song. Faces Live version of that. It's All Over Now, but I, I mean, we could play that just as easily, but I kind of want to play Cut Across Shorty just because I don't think people have heard it because, uh, I mean, he turns the soul, the tight soul groove of the Womack song into this, like, loose, loosey-goosey acoustic rock groove, like, you know, Faces-ish. But it's an even bigger change with what he does because this song cut across shorty is a it's a, i don't know who i don't know these people who wrote it uh wayne p walker and mary john wilkin it says but it was a eddie cochran hit or you know a, a hit you know not a huge hit for it, it was a, but it was right. an eddie cochran standard it wasn't summertime blues and so. uh and he turns it into a completely different thing uh it's all acoustic instruments and this like 
insane violin part yeah. that just like rips <laughs> through the middle of the song so and they base it li- like it a insane. total like the you would think of the band doing this down in the basement with uh, at big pink with dylan that they would you know just be uh, oh yeah i mean Rick Danko sitting around with a fiddle but it's, it's got that looseness to it let's um, face it this stuff is very much influenced by the band i mean we've mentioned it peripherally in this podcast but this is the kind of shit that those guys were laying down and changing the course of pop music where people were just i mean Eric Clapton is like, no more hard rock, you know, blasting the solos. We're going to write songs now, you know, and, and Bernie Toppin affected by it, writing country songs, all these bands. And Rod Stewart absolutely is in, enveloped in this. But enveloped. I'm, I'm not sure that anyone captures the kind of looseness and, and, and yet blist, the blistering looseness of the band as well as this these Rod Stewart, Ron Wood this collaborations era. do. Yes. Because these are spectacular really arrangements are. of these songs that don't obscure the song at all and yet – and don't just get their power from electric guitars. They serve the song. But they're not getting all their power from electric guitars. No. They're doing a lot of it without electric guitars and, and, and they are blistering. They're incredibly innovative arrangements – they're taking some of those ideas that the band was doing in big in you know up in Woodstock or Saugerties, and they're 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 adding the sort of like that British kind of arrangement genius to it mm. of uh, and you know plus not that the band needs anyone to top their singers but All this right. is a singer seriously Rod yes. Stewart I mean the band has three of them at this yes. level but but Rod Stewart but this is really a distinct singer although Richard Manuel is but but a distinction. Uh, that's within the structure of a lead singer, a lead man, a guy who has a voice that the second he starts singing, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 here comes Rod Stewart. Yeah. And in this song especially, yeah, he really I mean, does. It's all over this thing. So we probably should go after this, but I, I, I want to just like say it again. There's a period here at the late 60s, 70s where the Stones are making a series of albums that are all, you know, Beggar's Banquet, It's Only Rock and Roll. Uh, well, Vegas Fingers, Let It Bleed, Let It Bleed, uh, uh, Exile on Main Street. Right, yes. they make a series of records that are just like incredible. But at the same time, across town, so to speak, yes, Rod Stewart and Ron Wood are making albums with two bands at once. <laughs> um, in you know, this is 1970. In 1971, they released three records. They they release uh, Long Player in I think February. Uh, Every picture tells a story about the Rod Stewart album in in May or June or something, and then by October or November they're releasing a, a, a nods as good as a wink uh, to a blind horse. Uh, another faces record, three records in in 1971. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to that in our next podcast. Yes, 1971 is going to be a big year for our next podcast. But we're going to finish it up with Cut Across Shorty. Like I said, this is at one point a an Eddie Cochran song, and this does not sound like an Eddie Cochran song no, now. No. And um, we should say the next time you hear us, we'll be at 51. Yes. Number 51. Oh, also, uh, Speedy Recovery to my pop just had uh, hip surgery. So I know he listens to this show religiously. So, Dad, get better. Uh, one more thing on this. The drums on this are Mick Waller again. Uh, the bass, however, is Pete Sears, who just got done playing the piano on oh, Country Comfort. Right. But on this one, he plays the bass. Uh, and then you've got, uh, I assume, Ian McLaughlin and Ronnie Wood and Rod Stewart. Uh, so this is Cut Across Shorty. Shorty cut across. This is it. We're, we're and we'll signing see off. You. Huh? Yes. Peace. Late.
Shorty, shorty, cut across You know that you that I want